Hello and welcome to another episode of Music and Therapy with Relationship Coach Kiana W. Mitchell. I am your host, Kiana W. Mitchell. Guys, this week on the podcast, we have an amazing guest. Her name is Jessica Pineau, and she's a therapist right in the area where I live, Huntsville, Alabama. She is certified to work with adults, specifically women who have high-functioning autism. And I found this to be fascinating because many times we don't understand what autism is we don't understand the spectrum very well and a lot of us have married people who may have it because sometimes people don't get diagnosed with autism until later on in life so here are some interesting facts to know she's also going to give us some resources and also tell us how she was diagnosed herself with autism later on in life so without further ado Here is my amazing, amazing, and wonderful interview with Jessica. Hello, Jessica. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. Thank you so much for being with us here today on Music and Therapy. I'm super excited to talk to you. Now, for those of you who don't know Jessica, she works with adults who have autism, specifically women. So tell me a little bit about yourself and what made you decide to go into this field of coaching and therapy? Um, Okay. I've been in practice for 20 years, so I've been kind of all over the place. Uh, I started with rate crisis early on. Um, I have my master's degree in clinical psych. Um, From rate crisis, I kind of moved from agency job to agency job, as a lot of people do when they're young, because, you know, you take what you can get when you're young. Um, But I really heavily specialized in trauma. And when I opened my own practice, Um, I started working with people with gender dysphoria and gender issues, um, and I found very quickly without really realizing what I was getting into that there's a huge overlap between gender dysphoria, gender issues, and autism. Gender dysphoria and trauma, I found very quickly that like 50% of my caseload was on the spectrum. And the more I got into the spectrum, the more I began to, um, you know, obviously look at myself, and then I was diagnosed about a year ago too, so... um, Wow. So, yeah, um, what you find is, I think, especially when you're dealing with women with autism, we tend to be drawn to each other because other women don't make a lot of sense to us. So the more women I had in my life that had autism, the more um, sense people began to make to me, if that makes sense, right? Because we don't end up, we usually end up being underdiagnosed. largely because most of the original research on autism was done on males. That's amazing you would say that because my husband and I, we talk about this all the time. I am a 70s baby. I quote like the last year of it <laughs> before we got into the 80s. So I was born in 79. My husband was born in 71. And so we were talking, we were like, 
a lot of people born in our generation, we missed out on a lot of care. We missed out on a lot of things that we should have had just because people didn't know about it. Or if someone exhibited a certain type of behavior, it was like, oh, that's just how they are. Or that's just our strange uncle. No one ever really took time to see what was going on with people in our generation. So it doesn't surprise me that people are finding out later that they had a different diagnosis because it was not something that was talked about or even dealt with during the time we were younger. Um, more and more I'm getting, especially women um, coming in who are asking for diagnoses because they were just told their whole life that there was something wrong with them. They didn't act right. Um, a lot of times they had a lot of other diagnoses overlapping, um, you know, bipolar, depression, ADHD, um, just they were everything, you know, and, and that, of course, in therapy leads to a lot of self issues because they end up kind of that's almost all their natural behaviors and instincts, right? And that is so true. And I've been reading a lot about people, like you said, later on in life, realizing that they may have a diagnosis. I heard Chris, I think it was Chris Rock said that he found out as he got older that he had a form of Asperger's or autism, I think. Um, yeah. There was a gospel singer. Her sister, um, Morgan Harper, she also just found out later in life that she also had a form of autism. So this is something that I think people should be aware of because it doesn't happen to maybe one or two people. It's something that we're seeing is happening more often than it did before. So what are some things people should look for when they are trying to figure out if they have a form of autism or if they're on a spectrum? Um, the things I look for um, right off the bat, or I notice in my clients first, are that they struggle with social interactions, right? Because a lot of times, um, one of my favorite comedians is Hannah Gadsby, and um, she always describes being autistic as like being in a room with drunk people, and you're on a completely different wavelength than them, and you don't know what's going on. And, you know, you make jokes, they fall flat, or people look at you like you're strange, you don't always get the subcontext. Um, you end up masking a lot. So if you feel like you're having to fake your way through life and you don't get why people are reacting to you the way they are, that's a huge red flag. Um, other red flags are stemming. I always watch for the stemming. Um, I stem a lot, but I put on nails, which helps me <laughs> um, because, you know, I end up picking my hands until they bleed, but there's all different kinds of stems. You see people that shake their hands. Um, there's a lot of midline hand movements, um, trichotillomania, pulling the hair out. Um, I have some clients that have um, oral stems. They like to suck on things. They're always sucking on pens, cooking pens. Um, that's something that most people can observe walking in a room, right? You know, And a lot of autistic people are trying to hide it, so they'll end up scratching themselves or doing odd things to, to hide the stems. Um, I've actually brought the diagnostic criteria awesome. because I, I thought that that was important, right? Because, you know, as far as academically, this is what we look at and it's deficits in social emotional reci reciprocity, deficits in nonverbal communicative behavior, deficits in developing and maintaining relationships, stereotyped or repetitive speech, motor movements or use of objects. So when I'm talking about stemming, that's that repetitive movement. And it can also be verbal. So sometimes you'll find people that have to say things three times, you know, um, cool, 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 yes, yes, yes. Um, sometimes they even make up their own words. Um, excessive adherence to routines, patterns, rituals, behaviors. They don't like having things changed. 
So for parents of children with autism, this is one of the biggest struggles because if they go off routine, like if it's usually school, homework, bedtime, but then one day they have to be school, homework, grandma's house, you know, that can lead to a complete meltdown for the child. Um, highly restricted fixated interests and sensory um, hyper or hypo reactivity to sensory input. So um, for me, when I was a kid, I was always yelled at because I wouldn't eat. Because um, like there was like two foods that I could stomach because um, I just didn't like the texture, the taste, anything about it. So um, I was always being yelled at for being a defiant and bad child because I wouldn't eat. And there were a lot of clothes I wouldn't wear. I wouldn't wear anything with tags. Um, the sensory stuff can be huge. Um, with low functioning autistic kids, you know, you get them putting their hands over their ears when it's too loud. Um, with higher functioning, we're usually better at masking it. Um, but honestly, I was getting a tattoo on my shoulder the other day and the the machine was buzzing by my ear and I couldn't even mask through that. So I had to put my hand over my ear during the tattoo. Um, so, you know, there are things that no matter how function, high function you are kind of push you over the edge, right? So. Yeah, that is amazing. And so what kind, I know you mentioned earlier that when it came to yourself, you realized that you were connecting a lot with women who had autism. So what was that one thing that made you just look into it and say, oh, so maybe this might be something that I have. What made you think about that? Um, I have a lot of alexthenia, which means I can't interpret my own in internal sensations much. Mm -hmm. So I am exceedingly high strung and anxious, but I didn't realize that until about a year and a half ago. Um, I thought I was just a calm, chill, relaxed kind of person. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to have two pain indexes, one and 10, and I can't tell anything in between. Um, so I got divorced two years ago um, and I started dating. And I think what put me over the edge is a lot of the men I was dating, um, since I had no ability to observe myself internally, were noticing that I was just not like other women, right? Um, you know, I even had one guy say, I'm pretty sure you're autistic. Really? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Wow. And of course, I disregarded him because I kind of thought he was just being mean. Um, but the last guy I dated, you know, he said, yeah, your your behavior is very atypical because, you know, a lot of us who are on the spectrum tend to keep to ourselves a lot. Right. And um, when we are out in public, at least when I'm in public, I'm, I mask heavily. So I, I mimic the behaviors that I'm, I know I'm supposed to be exhibiting. Um, I, I'm trying actually not to do that. Over the last year, I've tried to just be me um, and not mimic behaviors anymore. Um, but for a long time, it was a lot of mimicry. Um, I realized a lot of the things they were saying and were things that um, my clients all had as well. So That is interesting. That is amazing. So then you went and got checked out or you got tested and you found out that you were on the spectrum as well. Yes. So were you excited when you found out? Because I know... A lot of people, when they get a diagnosis for something, they feel relieved, like a weight's been lifted off their shoulder because they know exactly what is going on with them. So how did you feel? I mean, I definitely felt like a weight had been lifted. And I feel like most of my clients, since I do a tremendous amount of autism testing for adults as well, feel like a weight is lifted because suddenly everything makes sense. Like all your life, you've been told that the way you behave is wrong. You struggle with relationships you struggle figuring out, like relationships fail and you don't even really know why. Like 
people are mad at you, you have no clue why people are mad at you, right? You just know people are upset and you're not sure why. Um, so suddenly everything kind of fell in place. Um, and now it helps me because I kind of go into relationships and friendships and tell people, you know, look, I'm autistic. If, if you have a problem with me, you are going to have to explain it to me because I'm not going to get whatever subtle cue you're, you're putting down that's telling me that you're unhappy with me, right? I mean, like for a long time, I'm not from the South. I thought bless your heart was a compliment. I had no idea that that was something mean people were saying to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, um. No, I think it's good because now you can just tell people up front and people can either take it or leave it. And I just think that's the way of being honest. And I think that's awesome that you're able to do that. And it takes a lot of bravery. It takes a lot of courage to just go and tell people those things because so many times we don't want to tell people about things that we're dealing with because we're unsure of how they're going to react to how we're feeling. So I think that's awesome. Well, I think um, that's the new movement for autism um, that I've been really pushing for over the last, even before I knew I was autistic, I was pushing for the new movement, which is um, the neuroaffirmative movement, right? right. Which is instead of, um, you know, ABA was kind of the gold standard of treatment for autistic children for years. Um, but now, you know, especially in England and Europe, they're teaching this kind of, they call it um, dual empathy, where instead of teaching autistic people to act like everybody else we teach them just to be who they are be honest with who they are and try to um have both parties neurotypical and neuroatypical learn empathy for each other like we might be different but that doesn't mean we're purposely trying to hurt people's feelings or be rude or we just don't relate to the world in the same way and so it's all about accepting who you are not hating yourself for your differences if that makes sense no it makes a lot of sense now for our listeners who don't understand what the aba um, type of therapy was could you go into a little more detail and explain what that was and what they were trying to teach children during that time and how well, the neural affirmative is better okay so aba is still really popular especially in the south it's applied behavioral analysis mm -hmm. and it really is um just classical conditioning um which is you know child engages in a behavior and there's a reinforcement for them not to engage in the behavior or to continue the behavior, right? Right. And they did that really, and they still do that really heavily with autistic children. And I, I understand sometimes with especially lower functioning autistic children, ABA is still required because some of their behaviors are very destructive, right? Right. You know, because autism is a spectrum, right? I'm mm -hmm. high function, obviously, you know, I do exceptionally well, you know, good, you know, I always had, you know, 4.0 GPA, you know, high IQ, but then there's a the lower functioning kids that can, you know, bang their heads on the wall all day and right. you know, they can damage themselves, right? So I understand that that is still necessary for that. Um, but in general, for a lot of the higher functioning people I've worked with that have had to go through ABA, um, they viewed it as almost abusive and there has been some research coming out showing that it can lead to trauma because mm -hmm. um, essentially you're telling these people that their behaviors are um that they can't help i mean because we, we, we can't really help them right like i can't stop being anxious at certain things like sensory overload i can't stop it and so you know you're essentially kind of being bullied and told that if you continue to have this behavior 
you will, you know, have A, B, and C negative consequences. And that creates even more anxiety, which can lead to almost trauma-like responses in adults. No, I totally understand why. Because I know there are certain things that I'm fearful of or certain things that make me anxious. And if someone told me, Kiana, it's wrong for you to be anxious about these things, you shouldn't be. And if you continue, this is going to happen. You're right. It is unfair because we all have different things we're anxious about. And especially for someone who has autism, we can't tell them that. So I see why the neuroaffirmative is the better way to go, especially for adults to help them. I think that's a better way to cope with life anyway, because we can't fake our way through it. We have to be honest, like you said, with yourself, be honest with people around you, because when you understand people and when people are honest with you, then it's easier to understand where they're coming from and easier to see things through their lens instead of trying to see it through your own. Because I have worked with um, kids who had autism for eight years. I used to work as a rehabilitation counselor for the state of Alabama. And so I would go to the schools and I would work with kids and try to help them in school or help them go to college and get jobs. And it was a struggle a lot of times to try to help the kids who had autism sometimes. And it wasn't because they weren't smart, because they really were. It was just trying to find different resources within the school to help them overcome the social barrier that they had. And so once we were able to get that in place and find someone to help them, then, you know, we could see that they were succeeding. And it had a lot to do with what you said, them being honest and talking to people about their experience and being able to move forward from that. One of my favorite um, speakers on autism is Temple Brandon. I love her. Yeah, you know, world-renowned physicist. And, you know, she comments on like, you know, a lot of autistic people are actually gifted, right? And a lot of, I mean, at least all of my autistic clients have at least one thing that they can do better than most neurotypicals, right? Like exceptionally well. Like for Temple Grandin, it's obviously physics and math, right? And by forcing autistic children to be like everybody else, you're also stripping away those gifts, right? You're putting them Mm -hmm. in special ed where they can't shine and they can't be everything they're capable of being, which is a lot of times amazing. Yeah. Now, I have seen, and I'm not saying special education is bad, but I do think that sometimes kids are placed in special ed just because people don't know how to deal with them or help them, and not so much that they deserve to be there. And I'm just saying that because I've seen a lot of times kids who are in special ed, I'm just like, why are you here? Like, you really don't need to be here, but they just, the teachers just felt like it was easier to put them there than actually taking the extra time to help them in a real classroom setting, so... Yeah. Well, I mean, let's let's be fair. We're we're difficult. I mean, a lot of my relationships have failed because I do have difficulties, right? Like, you know, um, I get very anxious if things fall. Like, my last relationship failed because, um, you know, I have to have order and plans, right? Mm-hmm. That that means a lot to me. So, um, you know, if he changed plans on me or he didn't want to make a plan or he was unable to make a plan, you know, I would be having a complete come apart emotionally. And, you know, he was, I I think he just viewed it as me being a pressure cooker or trying to be a bully or, but, you know, for me to not have a structured environment and a structured life is is very difficult emotionally, right? So I don't mean to diminish the fact that people on the spectrum aren't a challenge, but I think trying to have that dual empathy makes it more feasible, right? 
It does, because if you understand what a kid is going through, especially if you're a teacher, then if they are having a meltdown, you understand, okay, they're not being disrespectful. They're not trying to be difficult. This is just how they're dealing with the situation. I think it would be easier for teachers to be able to accommodate them in a regular classroom and not just throw everyone into special ed because they're unable to deal or cope. And I also think Sometimes we need training as well, because you know how we always talk about diversity training? Well, I think we need the same thing with people with disabilities, because we need to know how to interact, because at the end of the day, we're all people. And so we need to know how to interact with each other, like you said, have empathy for each other and be able to understand what what each other is going through so that we can be there for each other instead of tearing them down or having judgments and things like that. So let me ask you a question. You mentioned earlier how sometimes um, relationships are difficult for people who are on the spectrum or who have autism. And so I guess my question is, whether it's a romantic relationship or if it's just interpersonal relationship with just friendships, what are some tips that you have to give about the best way to navigate through relationships in general? I mean, it's, it's all relationships, A. I mean, <laughs> literally all of them. Um, Because, you know, it is. It's like you're in a room full of drunk people. You don't know what they're doing. Um, You don't know, like, people tell me jokes, and I laugh all the time. And it's not because I think it's funny. It's because I I realize I'm supposed to be laughing. Yes. (laughs) You know, and my my face doesn't always, like, sometimes I'm stressed, and I'm laughing because I'm stressed, not because I'm actually, and that is off-putting so um you know it's all relationships even female relationships i've had trouble maintaining past two years Mm -hmm. right because there's this whole secret world of women that has that sometimes i just don't get um the best relationships i maintained were when i had small children because that was easy for me to understand you know all the women were communicating about their small children i could do that um but i i have a strong um tendency to info dump, you know, because a lot of um, people in the spectrum, we love, we love data and figures and learning, right? Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I'll go on a hyper learning thing about neurology, and then I'll sit and talk about neurology for three hours before realizing everyone in the room was just praying for me to shut up. Um, you know, so all relationships are hard. Um, it's a challenge. Um, What's, and, you know, on the other end of that, too, I think a lot of women, especially with autism, are taken advantage of a lot because we can't read the room. Um, abuse rates with women in autism are through the roof. Most of them do have trauma, right, because they can't read people's motives. I myself am just conned a lot. Um, I end up, for years, I end up in these weird situations where, like, I foster cats with a shady organization and then people are sending me death threats or, you know, you know um, I just really bad decisions because I don't read people well. Um, so that's really, yeah, it's all relationships. And then dating relationships and romantic relationships are even worse because there's no place to hide. At least with my female relationships, I can pull back, right? Take a week off, reboot, try to act normal or more normal the next time. But with romantic relationships, there's no, they see everything, right? So they really have to either be on board or, or not on board. So are there any uh, type of resources available that we have that you know of where people can access help if they needed it? Um, well, now there's a lot of resources coming out. So, um, you know, I pulled up a bunch of stuff 
Um, what seems to be happening on the web right now, because I feel like there's not like a lot of research from serious professionals at this yes. point. Um, but what I found a lot of is a lot of YouTube videos from autistic women who have been successful in relationships giving advice. Um, I actually pulled up one for this from a lady named Purple Ella, and she says she's been married for years and they've done really well. <laughs> and um, so I thought I'd bring her advice to the table. Okay. She said it works for her and her, her relationship with her husband is that they always use clear language so that, you know, he always tells her exactly what's going on so that she's not lost in kind of a confused zone. He tells her exactly how he feels and um, reassures her. Um, he clearly, they both clearly state their emotions and don't rely on facial cues or any subtle hints. Like I've been in relationships with men who I'm like, well, do you wanna break up with me? And I'm like, why are you asking that? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, well, obviously I love you. I'm like, well, why is that obvious? Because <laughs> to me, it's not obvious, right. but apparently there's a whole slew of cues that normal people can pick up on. Um, so Purple Ellis said that using that clear language, telling each other regularly how they feel so there isn't any reliance on facial cues or cues that normals can rely on. Um, having your partner learn about autism, you know, just going through everything and knowing what to expect, um, finding out about your partner's particular autism, because we're all different. Um, I'm obviously we're people, right? So yes. Because I have autism doesn't mean I'm like the guy down the street that has autism. Right. And make a plan that will help when you have problems. Know that, um, especially with transitions, planning, sensory aversions. I actually asked the last guy I dated, you know, what he thought people should know. Um, and he said that sensory aversions are a big thing, right? You know, know what the aversions are so you can avoid them to avoid anxiety. Right. So that was Purple Ella's advice on relationships with people on the spectrum. I also found this wonderful thing because I, I do a page now called Neurodivergent Women on Facebook. Yes. So I get to see everybody's kind of take on how relationships have been. And, you know, there's a lot of people on there who have really struggled like, like I have, right? And right. Um, have not had successful relationships. But then there are a lot of people on there that have. And it's kind of nice to follow feeds like that where you can see people who have the successful relationships. And it does seem to be all about having a partner who's really willing to, to try and communicate with you, right? Yeah. But this was my, um, my meme from yesterday about relationships. And it was the five neurodivergent love languages. According to this person called NeuroWonderful Online, they say the five neurodivergent love languages are info dumping because we tend to like to info dump because we get hyper interested in things. Like I went through a period where I read nothing about but war crimes in Japan in World War II, which I read every book on that. <laughs> so info dumping, parallel play. So um, like one of the better relationships I had, we played video games online together. That worked really well for us. Um, support swapping, being there to support them when they're having their issues. And then this one's funny, please crush my soul back into my body, which just sounds about right. And I found this cool rock button loop, et cetera. I thought you might like it. Because one thing um, a lot of people on the spectrum also tend to do is collect things, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, I collect uh, 
pops <laughs> and um you know rocks and but most of us have i call it magic the gathering cards so most of us have something we collect and hoard right so i mean it's always worth to me at this point i always feel like if you feel like it might be something you have or your child might have it's worth the testing because for me it's 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 helped a lot knowing. And I think since I do so many testing, I've had clients that literally, um, I don't know if I'm ruining my sister's confidentiality on this too, but my sister, you know, cause it runs in families turned out mm-hmm. to have it as well. And she, she almost started crying because, you know, she had been misdiagnosed with everything in the book and told that everything in the, in the world was wrong with her. Right. Mm-hmm. And to finally know that there's, there's really nothing wrong with you. You're just different is yeah. right. You're not broken. You're just different, and you got to find a way to live in this world being different. Yeah, definitely. So, what does testing consist of? What do you do to test for this? Well, I always say, um, go online and do a screener first because testing is super expensive. Um, we try to, I try to run bargain basement <laughs> testing because um, I know how hard it is for most people. So, the testing we do at Tree of Life is three hundred dollars. Um, but I know that like um, some other clinics locally are silver linings and I think they charge 1200. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, it can get really high. Um, and so, you know, I always say, you know, run the, the free ones online first and although they're not reliable or valid or statistically backed, at least you're not going into a, you know, $1,500 test and just kind of wasting your money. Um, right. You know, I'm also, I also encourage people if you can't afford the testing to just go online and do the screeners and go with that as long as you can because sometimes even that gives you that validation you need to know that you're not a mess at relationships you're not broken you're not failing you're just different you need to find someone who's patient with your differences right yeah and I always say there is somebody for everyone. It may take a long time or a while to find that person, but I do believe that there's somebody for everybody because we all have different personalities that will connect with some people while it won't connect with other people. So yeah. that's the hope. And, you know, when you're on the spectrum, you just need someone who's patient and understanding and okay with the fact that you're on the spectrum and you're going to be different. No, that's true. But one thing I have found in working with kids with autism is that, I don't know, it's like they're, like I said, a lot of the kids I work with were smart. They were really, really smart, almost brilliant, like you mentioned, to a certain extent in some things. But they usually were able to talk to me about different things that they were dealing with. And they were dealing with a lot of things that I wouldn't ever imagine because for me, certain things just seem like, oh, this is just what we do. But to not know that, it's almost like they were missing a code. And so for them not to know this and then have to try to go into the world and figure things out on their own without having all of the help and support that they actually needed, I felt that was one of the things that was really holding them back. I'm just like, these are some smart kids. Like, they're really smart. And I just felt like they needed more help with the whole social aspect. So do they? if there's a family that's listening, and they feel like their child's not getting any type of social support. Do you know of any social resources where maybe a support group or a function or even like a small group where people can come together to socialize and to learn the different cues or whatever? Do you know of any resources like that that would be available? 
I mean, there's a lot of stuff online right now. Um, I feel like this is kind of a burgeoning area, right? Because we're just figuring out how many people have it and we're beginning to look more at the high functioning autism, which used to be called Asperger's by the way, you know, with yeah. the DSM-5, they changed it from Asperger's. So a lot of times you'll see Aspie thrown around, but that really is just high functioning autism because they changed the diagnostic statistical manual, how we diagnose mental illness. And in the DSM-4, they called it Asperger's and now they call it high functioning autism. So okay. just so people don't get confused and they're like, well, what is Asperger's? What's high functioning autism? They're the same thing. Just psychologists like to get together and psychiatrists and change the diagnoses sometimes just to confuse us. Um, so um, there's a lot of resources coming up right now. I mean, just going online before this, you know, there's a lot of this is open doors therapy. They do okay. online counseling. We do online counseling, Tree of Life Behavioral Health. Um, we do, you know, a lot of telehealth out there. I think a lot of the my young people have really found a lot of support and like. Discord servers, because that's kind of a new young people thing. I'm old, obviously. Um, that's going on. A lot of my young people find a lot of connection through online role-playing games. Okay. Um, because that tends to draw other people that are on the spectrum. Um, so I myself play um, Elder Scrolls Online. <laughs> and, um, you know, a lot of the people in there are just atypical like I am. And that's good, right? Um, mm -hmm. So there's a lot of ways to find connectivity through these kind of atypical groups, right? And most right. of them are online because, you know, social anxiety is a usually a little higher in this group. So face-to-face. -face. Um, also at gaming stores, a lot of my, my clients that are on the spectrum, you know, they, they play things like Dungeons and Dragons at, um, here we have um, Lucky Dice Cafe, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or The Deep or Magic the Gathering, right? So, I mean, which all sounds terribly dorky, but it's a way to connect without having to know all the social cues and rules that are so complicated, right? Right. So tell me a little bit about Tree of Life and what do you do and what services that, what services do you offer? Because I heard you mention that you guys do online counseling, which is great because especially now with the coronavirus, even though we're still dealing with that and just the whole idea of being able to help somebody in a different state, different country. I think that is awesome that we had the ability to do that. So what services do you offer and what do you do? Um, so Tree of Life, we have um, a lot of different practitioners right now and they all have their own specialty. Obviously, I do a lot of autism. Um, I do a tremendous amount of trauma um, and then I do gender issues. So a lot of gender dysphoria, people who are non-binary, transgender, um, wanting to transition, that sort of thing. Um, we have Charlie in the back. He does a lot of mindfulness and he does EMDR, which is also a specialized treatment for trauma. Um, we have Jeannie, who pretty much does everything. I mean, she's just kind of, she does littler kids. Um, we have David, who is amazing and does a lot of telehealth. He's um, he also does high functioning adults with autism and kids and his specialty is kids that otherwise have been rejected by other therapists. Right. So he likes like a, you know, more difficult children. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, then we have Lori who does more just standard depression and anxiety. Um, I have been working on yoga for trauma and we recently are pulling in um, 
I'm a huge fan of something called polyvagal theory, which I could info dump on you for the next two hours, what polyvagal theory is, but I, I did my thesis on it and all my research in undergrad in it. And it's really evolved. It was um, designed by a man named Dr. Porges, who was a physiologist. And he started looking at the, the physiology and the way the autonomic nervous system works in people with PTSD. And it's had a lot of implications actually with autism, which is amazing because that overlap is like my passion. So it's, it's, yeah, I get lucky that I get to work with my passion doing this. So we just brought in his new method, which is the safe and sound protocol, um, which is a series of music and pings that you listen to through earphones, which help uh, realign your autonomic nervous system and kind of restore balance after trauma or autism. So we're bringing that in this week, actually. And I'm really excited about that. And that can be done remotely from home or in office. This is exciting. And you say you plan to start that sometime next week? Yeah, I mean, I'm still going through the training. So I might be speaking slightly off key on what it is since I'm still going through the training. Um, and, you know, I know what we're looking at is, um, you know, rewiring your brain essentially, right? So you're, you're, you know, the whole goal of this is to kind of change the way your, your autonomic nervous system is functioning, right? Um, so yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's different. It's not just about changing behaviors. It's about going into the, the root of it and alleviating your stress and your anxiety, which is the goal, right? Because, yeah. you know, neuroaffirmative treatments, the goal is that the way you behave isn't the problem. You can be as weird and atypical as you want, but we don't want you to, I mean, at least for me, I don't want to have to have a meltdown every time I hear the wrong noise, right? Right. <laughs> it's a lot better if I have some of my sensory aversions taken away. Um, you know, every time a, a plan changes, I don't want to have, you know, an anxiety attack. So that's, you know, where the work needs to be done is alleviating our discomfort, right? Mm -hmm. This is exciting. So yeah. where can we find out more about you? I know you mentioned you had a website, but where are you on social media? Where can we find out more? Okay, so I'm odd on social media because I'm odd in real life. Um, so I also, you know, cause one of my, you know, we all have our things like our, mm -hmm. you know, so one of my hyper focuses for a long time was writing. So if you right. Google me on social media, I have written 10 books that are all horror novels and those will come up pretty quickly, probably before me as a therapist, depending on what search engine you use. Um, so you might find all this kind of dark, funny joke stuff about skulls and horror novels and things like that. Um, but Tree of Life Behavioral Health is the best place, which is www.treeoflifebehavioral.com. You'll find out about me as a therapist. I've also just started a new Facebook page and a private group called Neurodiverse Women. And, you know, my goal there is to kind of create a community where women who are not like everybody else can talk and feel safe expressing, you know, things that maybe they're in, because I think a lot of neurodiverse women, uh, I'm, I'm now being open about being autistic, but a lot of women don't want the community to know that, right? right? So it's more of a private venue where they can talk about it and keep their masks up in public if need be, if that makes sense, right? Because yeah. there's still a lot of stigma about autism. Yeah, it is. I'm just happy to see that hopefully with time, the stigma goes away because I don't think there should be a stigma with it because everybody has things 
that we deal with, whether it's autism or depression or, you know, whatever it could be. I think all of us have things that we deal with. And I just think it's time for us all to be honest about what we're going through, because then it helps other people understand us better. So I love what you're doing. I think this is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel really lucky that I <laughs> I can do this, right? Yeah. That I'm in a profession where I can I can be myself, right? And I can take the mask off and, and help other people, right? Because yeah. I do feel like it helps my clients, too, to know that I'm also on the spectrum, right? You know, mm-hmm. they're not broken. They're not weird. You know, you can have a job. You can have a career. You can accomplish things, right? You don't have to just... exactly give up and work at McDonald's for the rest of your life, right? Right. I'm excited. Well, I hope to be hearing more about you in the future and I probably will do some follow-up because I want to hear more about this new therapy that you're starting next week or when you finish training. So I will definitely be talking to you about more things. Now, guys, don't worry if you didn't get a chance to write down all of her information. I will definitely have it in the show notes. All you have to do is click on the links and you will be able to get to Jessica. Jessica, thank you so much for being with me today. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. It was wonderful talking to you too.
Before I end the podcast, I would like to thank BetterHelp for their continued support of the Music and Therapy podcast. BetterHelp is a counseling online service, and they are there to help you. Their goal is to help people become the best version of themselves that they can be, which is in line with what we want to do here at Music and Therapy. So I'm extremely happy to work with them. Now, BetterHelp is not a do-it-yourself kind of thing. It's not one of those things that you do for self-help. BetterHelp is actually licensed counselors and trained professionals who are there to help you navigate through the most difficult times in your life. BetterHelp has licensed professional therapists and counselors who are knowledgeable and certified in their area of study. For example, here are some of the things I love about BetterHelp. It's not a traditional wait in the office kind of thing. You can meet with them online. So because it's online, people can meet with them in the United States, people can meet with them in Europe, and in Africa. They can help anyone anywhere in the world. Why? Because they are online. They are flexible. You can talk to a counselor within 24 to 48 hours of signing up for services. They will match you with someone who will be able to help you. You can talk to a professional who has a specific expertise that may not be in your area. Why? Because they are online. Another thing that I love about BetterHelp is that they actually help people who don't have the money or resources to get counseling. And that's the thing that I love. So there's like, they're not holding counseling back from you because you may not be able to afford it, especially if you have lost your job because of the pandemic or have financial issues. They have scholarships available. They even have financial aid available so that you can get the help that you need if you are desperately in need for help. BetterHelp is available and BetterHelp is willing to help and serve you. So if you would like to get more information about BetterHelp or sign up for services, what you can do is click the link in the show notes and in the link, that's the link to BetterHelp. And we also have a promo code. And the great thing about the promo code is that if you put in music and vibes, that's our promo code, they will give you 10% off of your first month of service. So if you are in need of better help, H-E-L-P, go check it out. Click the link in the show notes, put in the promo code, and you will be on your way to begin the process of healing. I would also like to thank you guys so much for listening to me. I enjoy our time. I can't tell you enough how much I enjoy hanging out with you, spending time with you. So thank you guys so much for listening. It's appreciated, and I just love you guys. Thank you so much. Now, on that note, I want to invite you to join our Facebook group. It's not the same without you. I miss you. I want you in the group. So go ahead and join our Facebook group, and it's easy to do. There's a link in the show notes. Click on the link and join. And I made it easy so that anybody can join. You don't have to wait for approval. You don't have to wait for anything. Just click the link, put join, and you are in. So I hope I see you in the Facebook group soon because that would just be amazing. Join our Facebook group. I also want to encourage you to follow the podcast on Spotify or Apple Music or iTunes, wherever you're listening. Go ahead and follow the podcast. Also, leave me a comment. I would love to hear your thoughts on the show. And then I also want to encourage you to share the podcast with a friend. There are people out there who need to hear some of what we're talking about. And because you are able to listen to it, and if you know someone who needs to hear what we're talking about, go ahead, share the podcast with a friend. Sharing is caring. By sharing, you are sharing the podcast. You're helping to grow our community. And you're also caring enough about your friends and your neighbors to share and let them know, hey, these are just some things that you can try out if you are dealing with these issues. 
Now, if you guys want to contact me, it's easy to do. I have all of that information in the show notes. It says join me on social media. So yeah, click on any one of those links. You can send me a message. You can DM me. Whatever you want to do, you can go ahead and do that. And I promise you, if you send me a message, I will respond to you. I think that's all I have to tell you. If you guys think anything else, send me a message. Let me know. Any questions you want answered, go ahead and let me do that. So have an amazing week. Enjoy your time with family and friends. And I will talk to you later. Bye-bye. Cheated on